turn together to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. We'll be looking this morning at chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. The second installment in the story of Abraham. We looked last week at Abraham, at this point still called Abram, being called out of Ur and being taken to a land that he knew not. And this morning we will see that it is not long before a test comes. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. It is completely authoritative. And it is completely sufficient. Genesis chapter 12. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would teach us from your word. But more than that, Lord, that you would not just impart knowledge to us, but that you would change our very lives by the power of your word applied by your spirit. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. What is faith? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Or maybe you're afraid to because you think it's so basic to the Christian life that if you don't know what faith is, someone's going to come alongside you and take things from you because you don't deserve it. For many in the world today, faith is taking things against reason, a leap in the dark, a lack of common sense. But for far too many in the church, faith is something merely like a mystical good feeling. It warms my heart. Or perhaps for others, it is simply something that happens in the past. 
I had to have faith in order to believe in Jesus, and now I'm on my own. I had that faith in the past, needed to, it was necessary, but it doesn't really meet my needs today. This passage today shows us that even the greatest of those in faith, those who are held up in God's Word itself as the paradigm of men of faith, Abram, need faith every single day of their lives. And often, he, like we, falls short. This morning, I'd like us to see three things from our passage about the test of Abram's faith. The first thing that we will see is the trial of faith that God places in his path. The second thing that we will see is the danger of a lack of faith, both to Abram and to us. And then lastly, we will see lessons in the school of faith that God gives to us. A trial, dangers, and lessons. Let's begin then by looking at the trial of faith. We've talked about what faith is. Faith is actually having trust in the living God. Because you see, faith cannot just be a feeling. It has to have an object. It must be an ongoing relationship that we have with the Lord God. And Abram needed this perhaps more than the average person because he had already been through many trials. Let me remind you that his life to this point has not been very easy. He had been told to go to a completely unknown place. Now, remember, you have probably gone to a place that you've never been before, perhaps on vacation. Perhaps you've even moved to a new place. But when you go, you go to the... You call AAA. You get maps. You talk to people. You find out what that place is like before you go. And you can make adjustments. I recall when we first moved to Jackson, Mississippi, we actually thought we needed to retain one buffalo winter coat each. Just in case. We realized that closet space was a premium. And though we might need it once in the next 20 or 30 years, we could go by. You see, Abram was called to go to a place where he didn't know anything about it. Didn't know any of the people. The Bible tells us he didn't even know where it was. God had to direct his path. He left his family and all of his people. And he found no home when he got there. You'll recall that earlier in this chapter, he built an altar for the Lord, but he only pitched a tent. For himself. He had a beautiful, wonderful wife, but the Bible reminds us in highlighted tones that she was barren. She had no child. And in those days, that was a severe debility. There was a real problem in not having children. And to top it all off, when he gets to this land that God would show him, the Canaanites are then in the land, idolaters. Hostile enemies of God. And Abraham had responded to all of this by listening to the Lord and obeying Him. He had responded in faith. He had proclaimed the Lord God by building an altar. So I want us to see the context of the second half of chapter 12 is the great victory of Abram's faith over severe challenges. This was not the very first challenge he faced. 
But now God adds another test to him. A test that we will see more in this book of Genesis. It's not just a test for Abram. It will be a test for Isaac. It will be a test for Jacob and his children. It is the test of a famine. There is a famine in the land. It's very severe. Abram is now in a land called the Negev. And that is the dry, almost desert-like area of the promised land. It literally means south. And so if you could imagine, Abram is trying to eke out an existence in West Texas. And it gets dry. Perhaps as dry or drier than we had in the past year, when the fires were about and the crops were failing. But there was no margin for error for Abram. Not only did he not have our technology, he couldn't exactly go to his church and ask for help. There wasn't one. He couldn't go to his family and ask for help. They were thousands of miles away. And he couldn't quite go to his neighbors to ask for help because they were opposed to him and everything that he stood for. This is an extreme test. Abram's very life is at stake and the only person that he can count on is God. Have you ever been there? Perhaps there's a situation in your mind you're mulling right now that no one knows what I went through. No one can fully understand and empathize. God can. Whether it's the most unique of illnesses, the greatest challenge of school or job, the worst difficulties of marriage, God knows the challenge and He can meet it. He's put this challenge in front of Abram. And it's a very serious test. It's not just a regular old famine. Verse 10 tells us the famine was severe. It was actually heavy, weighty. It dragged Abram down. Perhaps at a time in your life when you first came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, when you thought everything was going to be smooth sailing and that all of your problems were due to the fact that you weren't walking with the Lord. And now that you're committed to the Lord, everything will be perfect. Your boss will love you and give you raises. Your family life will be sweetness and light. All of your neighbors will hang on your every word. Life will just be perfect. And then about 15 minutes later, you realize that that's not how life is. Tests come. And tests are especially difficult for a new believer because we expect everything to be perfect. And I think that's what Abram is feeling now. He wants to wipe his brow and sit and prop up his feet and drink some sweet tea and say, Lord, I followed you. There's been great difficulties. Can we finally get some ease here? And God sends him a test. That's a reminder to you and to me that we should expect tests from the Lord. It's the way that the Lord grows us in our faith. God's challenge for us is not to see how easy the Christian life can be, but how willing we are to follow and trust Him in spite of all circumstances. Your life now is a training ground. It is practice, if you were, for the eternal worship and praise of the living God that you will experience in glory. 
You don't want your best life now. Your best life is coming in glory. Now we must meet the challenges and the difficulties because they build up the muscles of faith in following the Lord. Well, there is a challenge and a trial of faith that comes. And the challenge that comes to us is that we are prone to trust ourselves. We see this in Abram. Now, remember who Abram is. He is a great man of the faith. And this episode here is a a blot on his record. And just as a quick aside, if anyone ever challenges you that the Bible is just a bunch of stories and isn't true, take them to this chapter and say, if it's just a bunch of stories, why would they write all these bad things about Abram? Why wouldn't they just praise him? And then turn a little bit to the beginning of Exodus and find a story about Moses murdering someone. And say, Why would Moses write about murdering himself if it's just a bunch of stories? And then turn to the story of David and Bathsheba and say, Why would God put a story about the man after his own heart, the apple of his eye, who does these sorts of things? You see, this passage, in addition to helping us, is proof that the Bible is true. The Bible is not afraid to speak the truth into our lives. And there's a problem here that Abram faces, and the problem is that Sarai, his wife, is beautiful. Now, he assumes he knows what the problem is. He's been thinking about this. And he says to his wife, Honey, we've got a real problem. You are too good-looking. Think about that. Now, I want you... Another brief aside. Great men of the faith are not afraid to compliment their wives, to encourage them, to say, you're a real blessing to me. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. Abram does this. And if we might enter into his life, he is so taken with his wife that it causes him, in a sense, to lose sight of what the real problem is. He thinks the problem is that she is too good-looking, and he begins to do something that at least I fall prey to, and I guess that you do as well. He starts to play the what-if game. He says, okay, there's a famine here. We can go to Egypt. Okay, but what would happen? What if we went this way? Well, no, that might happen. What if we did this? Oh, then that would happen. And he starts to play the what-if game in his mind until he finally settles on the worst possible thing that could happen, which is, I could get killed and it would be my wife's fault. Now think about that. His mind is so busy churning up challenges and difficulties and not stayed on the Lord that he does what we often do. He fixates upon the worst possible thing. Has that ever happened to you? That happens to me. The place where that great temptation is for me, and you could pray for me, is in the car. And I've got to take a 3,000-mile round trip next month. And I always assume that the traffic will never let up. And I always assume that the accident will never get cleared. And I always assume we won't make where we need to make. And it's gotten to the point now that my children need to correct me from the back seat. It's not going to take that long, Dad. Sure it will. Because this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and this is going to happen, of course. No, I don't think so, Dad. You see, we can do that with our life. 
if I don't get into this college, I won't get the right education. And if I don't get the right education, I won't get the right job. And if I don't get the right job, I won't marry the right spouse. And I won't have children. And I'll be dead forever. Whew. How about we practice taking the SATs first? Right? This happens to us. And Abram gets bound up in it. It happens to the best of us. And see, the problem here is not just that he assumes he knows what the problem is. He assumes that God will be absent. You'll notice God is nowhere found here in his thoughts. He doesn't say, I have this great challenge in front of me. I wonder how the Lord will protect me. They're going to kill me. Oh, wait, by the way, God has promised to bless all of the nations of all of the earth through me. I wonder how God will take care of it. Abram will learn his lesson. We'll see in months to come. Because Abram will stand and say, if God tells me to kill my son, if he has to raise him from the dead to keep his promise, he will. But you see here, he assumes God is absent and it's all on him. And he also further assumes that he's completely capable to resolve the situation. Does that sound familiar? Are you making plans with God absent? Making plans is not a problem, but put God into your equation. How will the Lord go before you? How will the Lord encourage you? How will the Lord give you wisdom? And you see, when you have this kind of approach to the problem, you have a kind of solution that Abram comes up with. His solution is that he will take the initiative. He will go to Egypt. Now, the text does not tell us that he sinned in going to Egypt. I know Egypt is generally equal sign to bad in the Bible. But the text doesn't tell us that he sinned against God by going to Egypt. I think the problem here is is that he doesn't even ask God what he should do. There's no recording of him speaking to the Lord or praying or asking for God's counsel. He just takes this initiative and then as this what-if scenario gets in his mind, he then begins to ask his wife to half-lie for him. And a half-lie is no truth. And you see what happens here to Abram in this instance. I want you to get this picture of how not only this lack of faith affects his spiritual journey, it unmans him. Look at verse 13. He says, Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. Now, there's a little bit missing here from the translation. A little bit of flavor that I'm going to give to you. This is Abram, the man who followed after God, the man who Peter says his wife Sarah called Lord. Pretty important, self-sufficient, right? I doubt any wives here say when they... The husband comes home and says, excuse me, Lord, what would you like for supper? She really respected Abram. Abram goes up to her and he basically says, paraphrasing the Hebrew, Honey, pretty please, could you maybe just say that you're my sister? Because otherwise I think bad things will happen. Could you, huh, please? There is a, a wheedling in his voice here. There's a, there's a, this is not a command. This is a request. It's almost a craven request. It's made him unmanly and cowardly. He knows that he can't really order her to do this because it's not right. And so he is trying to entice her into being deceptive. 
And the reason he does this is he wants to set up a stalling tactic. He knows that if they go into this foreign land and he is her brother, not her husband, that then if someone wants to take her, they will come and make him an offer. Abram, I'd like to marry your wife. How do two cows and a goat sound in exchange? And then he can say, I don't know, let me think about it. And while he's stalling, they can get away. It's a perfect tactic. He doesn't have to upset anyone, and he can deal with it. But it's a great temptation that he has faced. And the next thing then that we see is this great plan that he has put together causes him great danger. And the danger is of a lack of faith. And the greatest danger that comes to us in a lack of faith is that when we try and do things on our own, in our own way, God in His wisdom often leaves us to ourselves. He says the equivalent of, you think you've got it all figured out, Abram? Let's see how that works out for you. He allows Abram to be tested in the circumstances, to see the folly of walking from the Lord, of not trusting the Lord in everything. And so there is a seeming sense to all of this. It makes sense to go to Egypt. Egypt is a land of plenty. What better place to go to avoid the famine? It makes sense to say Sarah is my sister because after all, she is my half-sister. It's sort of true. I'm just leaving out something critical. The problem, though, is God leaves to Himself and His great plan goes awry right away. You almost get the picture from the text that the day after they go under the sign that says, Welcome to Egypt, they walk in there, everyone is buzzing around looking at Sarai. Wow, she's beautiful. Who's she? Oh, she's that old guy's sister. That guy over there with the sandals and the robe. Oh, well, I wonder, I wonder if he'd be willing to marry her off. And there's the normal chatter that Abram would expect. And he might even be thinking to himself, okay, I've got to come up with my plan. This is how I'll negotiate to pretend. And then I'll leave and everything will be fine. There's one problem. Sooner than he expects it, Pharaoh finds out about Sarai. And Pharaohs don't negotiate. Pharaohs don't take the stalling. Pharaoh see, Pharaoh take. And that's exactly what happens here. He has no defense. The princes say to Pharaoh, this would make a wonderful addition to your harem. And he says, you know what? You're right. Go get her. Now what can Abram do? He can't stop Pharaoh. He's not powerful enough. He can't say, well, no, she's really my wife. Oh, that would be nice, says the Pharaoh, to a couple of his big guys. Take him out back and take care of him, would you? He has put himself in a position where he has no hope, no help, no resources. And to make matters worse, Pharaoh has given him a whole bunch of stuff to make him guilty. Now, Pharaoh's not doing it to make him guilty, but could you imagine when they have the first delivery of the pallet of calves? Boom. And the second delivery of the pallet of donkeys? Boom. And then the whole group of male and female slaves come in. Every time that a gift is given, Abram is sitting there going, Oh, I should have trusted the Lord. Oh, now what? Mr. Abram, we got a delivery of female donkeys for you. Oh, no more. I'm going to be even more in his debt. What am I going to do? Lord, how do I get out of this? 
It's a reminder to Abram, even in what would be a blessing, that he is not following the Lord. You see, by seizing control of the situation, by saying, I'll take care of it, Abram has now lost all control. And that's a lesson for you and for me. You see, when we think we need to be completely in control, when we think we've got it, God, that's when God lets us see in clear, certain terms that we are not in control, that we do not control our circumstances and that we cannot handle it without Him. And that shows not only a danger to Abram, but there is now a danger that crops up to the very promises that God has given to him. Do you remember what the promises were that Abram was given by God? First, that he would be what? The father of many nations. Second, that he would have a land for all of his descendants. And third, that he would be a blessing to all of the nations. And now Abram is in Egypt and every single one of these promises is in danger because of what Abram has done. Father of many nations... He doesn't even have a child. And now his wife doesn't even live with him anymore. She's somebody else's wife. Pharaoh has taken her off. How is that promise going to be fulfilled? And whose fault is it now if it isn't? It's Abram's. A land. A land that he left behind. And is now a stranger. And he can't quite leave Egypt because his wife is there. So now he's lost his wife. The promise of being the father of many nations is in jeopardy. And the promise that God would give to him and his descendants a land is also in jeopardy. Two out of three. Well, how about the third one? That he would be a blessing to the nations. Well, let's see. What does our text tell us? What does friendly visitor Abram bring to Pharaoh and Egypt? I wonder. Let's see. In verse 17, it says that he brings along with him great plagues. And at the end of this, we will see that Pharaoh, the thing that he's most excited is that Abraham get out as quickly as possible. Again, this promise that he would be a blessing to the nations seems to be in jeopardy. And it's all because Abram thought he knew better and he didn't need to trust God. I've got this God. I understand I needed to believe you before. But I followed you. And I've been faithful. I think I understand this walk with the Lord thing now. I'll take care of it. All of these promises are in danger. And everything that he has is of little comfort. Let me tell you, Abram is not going to bed at night saying, I'm so glad that I have so many livestock because of Pharaoh. And my servants have multiplied. And I've got more wealth. Small comfort to him. Because God is testing him at every point that is closest to him. So how does the situation get resolved? Abram is in this trial of faith. He's in great danger. You could imagine now that Abram is wearing out the floor with his knees before God. He didn't have time to ask God before, but now when things are difficult, when things are bleak, when God has brought him to a point where he knows he has no options, he has no help, he has no hope except for God, Abram turns to him. 
The thing that I want to encourage you from this text is that that is the main point. The circumstances aren't important. It doesn't have to be these circumstances. I'm going to go out on a limb this morning and virtually guarantee none of you will have your spouses taken by Pharaoh. But you will have similar challenges. It may not be in Pharaoh's palace. It may be in a hospital room. It may be in a tense conversation you have with your team. It may be in wrangling over the budget at night because you don't know how ends are going to be met. God will bring you to a spot where the only thing you can do is trust Him. And you must know that that is the point of all of the circumstances of life. Your job is not eternal. Even marriage is not eternal. What is eternal is your relationship with the living God through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. That is eternal. And God is impressing that upon your soul. Everything else can be dealt with. And you see, there is a lesson that we must learn in all of this. The first lesson we must learn is who we are. We need to learn that we are prone to trust ourselves. Let me, as my dear sweet friend in glory, Marie Lynch used to say, let me go from preaching to meddling. You are capable people. You have monetary resources. You have a great variety of skills and efforts. You are hard workers. There is a reason why God has blessed you the way He has, why you live in upper middle class or middle class America. You are people with abilities and talents, and that is the greatest temptation. Because you are capable in so many things. And we tend to think, because we're good at our job, because we try at our marriage, because we are wise with our funds, we can handle any problem God throws at us. This is a great temptation we have in America. We delight in talking about pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. We delight in saying that we are the pioneers laying out the ground. We delight in saying we run the entire world's economy. We protect all of the nations. We delight in saying we are the greatest nation to ever be on the face of the earth. And the problem is we go from there to saying we can do everything without God. We take the portion of our Bible that says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me, and we rip it out and we replace it with duct tape with, I can do all things that I put my mind and my efforts to. And we need to be reminded that that is a lie from the pit of hell. It sounds sweet. It sounds encouraging. It sounds motivating. But it is a lie. The second thing that we tend to learn from this is that we tend, we are prone to overestimate ourselves. To overestimate what we are capable of. Have you ever bitten off more than you could chew? I don't mean while you're eating, although some of you while you're eating. I mean, you've taken on a project and you were sure that you could handle it. And about halfway through, you know there was no way on God's earth you were ever going to be able to do it. And in a panic, you called up anyone you knew who might have something to add to this. Come over and help me. 
I'm in over my head. I thought I could replace the water heater, and now there's water everywhere, and it's spraying, and pipes are, and the alarm's going off, and my wife is crying, please, come and help me. Well, why did you think you could do that by yourself? Well, I look pretty easy. I'm a smart guy. Okay. We tend to overestimate ourselves. The third problem that we have that we learn from this is that we tend, we are prone to put God in a box. God belongs at church, not on the road to Egypt. God belongs in the prayer closet, not when we're speaking to Pharaoh. God belongs in prayer time, not in regular conversations with my wife. And you see, that sounds so spiritual and pious. That there are spiritual things that we do, and then there are regular things that we do. Business is business, we say to ourselves. And God has no business in business. He has business in the church. We learn from this that God is involved in every aspect of our lives. We should not put God in a box. The second set of lessons that we learn are even more important. It's something that we learn about who the Lord is. Now imagine Abram here. He's sitting at home. He's lost all of his family. He's left behind the land that God has brought him to. His wife is gone. He has no way how to know how he's going to get her back. All the promises of God are hanging into the balance. He's depressed. Doesn't know how to resolve the situation. And maybe to make matters worse, God prods him through a smart aleck servant that walks up to him and says, Abram, this is another fine mess you've gotten us into. What are we going to do? God teaches Abram that in the worst of situations, he is the one who never abandons his people. God never gives up. Abram has done everything wrong. He's in a pickle of his own making. If Abram were a teenager, his parents would be tempted to say, I'm going to let you fall on your face here, just so we see that you're not as wise as you think you are. But not God. God pursues Abram. He goes after him. And Abram learns that God never abandons his people. Just when Abram has no hope at all, God is his hope. God did not forget Abram in this situation. He did not forget Sarai. That's not just true in the desert, in a famine, in Egypt. You will face situations. Perhaps you are in a situation right now where you are saying to yourself, I have royally messed this up. I don't know how I'm going to see the other end of this. And I deserve what I'm getting. God would be right to just abandon me for all of my bad choices, all of the sin I have nourished, all of the conflicts I have created. I don't know that there's any hope at all. God says to you in Genesis 12, there is hope. You know the saying, where there's life, there's hope? It's wrong. Where there's God, there's hope. He never abandons us. No matter how difficult your situation is, no matter how trying, no matter how sinful you have been, God's work in Jesus Christ reaches you. 
God is the one who never abandons. And He is the one, we also learn, who is able. He is the one that intervenes. He fixes the situation. He sends a plague, which gets Pharaoh to thinking, what in the world is going on here? And they figure out that somehow this is not a sister. This is a wife. We need to resolve the situation. We need to give her back, because if we kill Abram, now, instead of just being rid of that problem, we're going to get more plagues. Get her and him out of here. Exactly what Abram needs. The only way the situation could ever be resolved is for God to step in. He resolves the situation. He gets Pharaoh's attention. We also learn from here that the God who never abandons and the God who is able is the God who is holy and right. We learn that at the end of this chapter. Look at verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done? Do you remember hearing those words someplace else? They're strikingly similar to the Garden of Eden. The pagan king of Egypt is calling out the father of the faithful and saying, What are you doing? God is using a pagan mouthpiece to show that we are not holy, we are not righteous, we do not have the answers. He does. Abram is learning here not to trust himself. The fourth and final lesson that we learn here about who the Lord is, is that God is not only the one who never abandons, He is not only the one who is always able. He is not only the one who is holy and right. We learn that He is the one who redeems. Verse 20, or excuse me, verse 19. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave the men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Get out of here. Take everything with you. Just get out of my sight. Does that sound familiar? Is there a pattern here? Let's see. A famine. Going down into Egypt. Oppression. Plagues. Get out. Sounds a bit like the story of the people who would be hearing this story for the very first time as Moses was writing it. It's the story of Israel, isn't it? even down to Pharaoh saying, get out and take everything with you. God is showing us here in this story that He not only works in nations that way, but with people. God redeems because He has a mighty hand and because He has called to Himself a people. It is not Abram's righteousness. It is not Israel's righteousness. It is not the church's righteousness. It is the Lord's righteousness. That prevails. You will face a test of your faith this week. Likely this day. It may not be as grand as Abram was faced with. It may be someone calls you and you have the opportunity to give yourself excessive praise or credit or diminish someone else. It may be some other small circumstance that God puts in your path. But your faith will be tested because as a child of the living God, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God will be constantly testing 
your muscle. And if you profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ and do not by faith, God will put this test in front of you to show you the folly and the vanity of a false profession. God is in charge here. He is the one that we must have faith in. He is the one that will direct our steps. He is the one who is all of our hope in every circumstance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning that You have taught us through Father Abraham what it means to believe in You, O Lord, what it means to follow You each and every day. Lord, we ask this morning that You would remind us that You are our God. You will never leave us nor forsake us. And that we can find all our hope in You. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.